Morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. While you're doing that, my apologies, I started a PowerPoint and then I realised my sermon was too long. Then I realised I'm going to end up doing a PowerPoint and then having to embarrass the words by keep saying, no next slide, no back one, no forward, because um, I'm looking forward to this morning. I think God's got something for us. So I gave up on the PowerPoint. And uh, let's read from Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. That's Jesus, his disciples, and a crowd. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Just thought you might, might relate the two. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Let's just pray. Father, we ask you to come and just speak to us all as we look at this account of another healing that Jesus performs. Come and inspire us. Come and challenge us. Come and provoke us as we look at this, this story. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to be sort of honest to this passage, and so I'm going to start with a tangent. Because actually, there are three accounts in the Bible of this healing of blind Bartimaeus. One of them is in Matthew 20, one of them is in Luke 18. Now, in Matthew 20, there are two blind men. In Luke 80, 18, there is one blind man, but the crowd is approaching Jericho, whereas in this story, they are leaving Jericho. Now, that is a great sort of opportunity for all those people that talk about there are contradictions in the Bible. So if you're one of those, I've just given you a huge input. I've just helped you a lot. But... <laughs> For me, it helps me understand the Bible as well. This time last week, Leslie and I were flying back from a wedding in Portugal. And uh, while we were there, yeah, it's nice. The sun was beautiful, beaches were good, the wedding was on the beach, the champagne was very good, came from Luxembourg. Um, <coughs> just little pieces of information that are helpful for you. But while we were there, someone asked us, you know, do you often go to weddings abroad? Have you flown to any before? And we both said no, because it's not sort of normal to go abroad for a wedding. 
And then we carried on the conversation. A little bit later in the day, we said, well, hang on a minute. Leslie's brother, Simon, would, was married in Holland. Now, we drove to Holland, but it was abroad. Actually, Catherine, our daughter, got married in Pakistan. We flew to that one. <laughs> our son got married in Sydney. We flew to that one. <laughs> our friends got married in Northern Ireland. don't know whether that's foreign or not, but we flew to it. <laughs> Our other friends got married in Denmark. We flew to it. We went to Guinea for a wedding. Actually, we've just lied. <laughs> and then we started talking about the weddings. And it was interesting because, obviously, my memory was correct of them all, and Leslie had some sort of weird stories about them. <laughs> and when I read this, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are eyewitness accounts of events that happened. And we don't know whether two men were actually healed. We don't know, actually, whether they were coming or going from Jericho. Does it really matter? Can you argue about it? Well, you could do if you're argumentative. But for a simpleton like me, it's like these are eyewitnesses' accounts. Leslie and I went to all these different weddings, but our accounts of the weddings are quite different. Eyewitnesses give different accounts. I once had to give a statement to, um, the, well, a couple of times, but on this occasion, to the police. <coughs> and unfortunately, I was the last person to give my statement. And the statement was fundamentally about a phone call that I had taken in the building that I worked in, where the guy at the end of the phone call had said, there's a bomb in the building and then put the phone down. Now, because of the situation, I'd only picked the phone up at the last minute because it was my lunchtime, so I sort of just put the phone down and went off to lunch. <laughs> Unfortunately, someone else had overheard this, so while I was off at lunch, the building was evacuated, the police were all there. I know it was a Thursday because Thursday was at that time when I went down to the seafront in Hastings where I lived and I had a piece of chicken and a cream cake. That was my Thursday meal. It was my treat. So I come back and there's all these people everywhere and I go to my sort of colleagues and I say, what's everyone doing? Say, Dave, they're all looking for you. I said, why? He said, well, there's a bomb in the building and you knew. I said, no, there's not a bomb in the building. <coughs> So the police come and I give my statement and then they start correcting it. They say, no, actually the call came at 1.15, not 5 to 1. And I'm like, no, I took the call, it was 5 to 1. Because I nearly didn't take it because I thought this could be a bad one, it might eat into my lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is absolutely true. So, <coughs> so... The guy says, no, it came at quarter past one. That's when the telephonist, because in those days, you had someone that plugged in the phone, so that's why they heard it. Different generation, different time. And she said it was quarter past one. I said, no, I know. They said, well, we're putting quarter past one because everyone else has said quarter past one. <laughs> so I said, well, put quarter past one. I'm not signing it. <coughs> so we had a little bit of an argument. And then the guy sort of goes on. He said, well, we're trying to find out who made the phone call. And I said, well, I can tell you that. I can't remember his name. I said, it's Arthur so-and-so. This is his address. And at the moment, he'll be sitting in a cafe on the seafront. And they said, well, how do you know this? I said, because I took the call and I worked with him. I sort of, I'm looking after his case. 
and that's where he phoned from, and that's where he will be. I said, that's why I knew, because I'd upset him, that he just said there was a bomb in the building, I knew there wasn't one. (coughs) But all the eyewitness accounts of that incident that the police statement took were all different. And when we come to the Gospels, there are differences. And for a simpleton like me, it simply says, these really are eyewitnesses. Because if Matthew and Mark and Luke had actually got it all together, they would have sorted out, as Leslie and I did, about what really happened at these weddings. You would have sorted it out. You would have come up with a common story. But for me, it's like, yeah, these really are eyewitnesses. Now, the question is, behind those eyewitness accounts is God. So what does God want us to learn from the story in Matthew? What does he want us to learn from the story in Luke? But today, the big question is, what does he want us to learn from this story that he allowed to be put down as an eyewitness account? What is it he wants us to learn? There are some distinguishing marks in that (coughs) Mark is the only one who names Bartimaeus in particular. He's the only one that gives us the meaning of the name, son of Timaeus. Mark has something for us to learn here. Now, background to the story is again important. This story comes as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And (coughs) in the top of my page in my Bible, um, in verse 32, it says this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock and spit on him, flog him, kill him, and three days later he will rise. And this is the third time that Jesus has specifically taken his disciples aside and said, look, I'm now going to Jerusalem. Elsewhere it says he sets his face like a flint to Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, mocked, spat upon, but I'm going to rise from the dead. And the disciples are astonished, and the crowd are afraid. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd where suddenly something is going to happen. Um, When we lived in Bermondsey, um, (coughs) there was sort of the whole Brixton riot thing going on. And there was one Friday afternoon where suddenly, intangibly, through the whole area of Bermondsey, was like there's going to be a riot and you could feel it in the atmosphere and uh, about five o'clock the street suddenly went deserted and being at a football match and uh, (coughs) suddenly intangibly again it was decided that everyone would start fighting and they just run towards the opposition and you're in the crowd and you can tell something's going to happen and what you've got here is Jesus 
I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to take the, the sin and suffering, pain and shame of the world. I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise from the dead again on the third day. And the disciples, hang on a minute, what's this all about? I thought we were doing all right. What, what, we don't understand this. And the crowd following are sensing something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And so in this, this account... They're leaving Jericho. It takes about eight hours to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is 3,600 feet higher than Jericho, so it's mostly uphill. It's going to be a long day. The crowd's anticipating something. The disciples are, are sort of astonished. Jesus has set his face. And Jesus, the disciples, and the crowd walk out of Jericho. And by the side of the road, there's a blind man who's begging. We know him as Bartimaeus. And he picks up that Jesus of Nazareth is walking down the street. You can hear the buzz of the crowd. And he's heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard about the healings that he's done. He's heard about how he's made the blind see. He's heard about how he's multiplied food. He's probably even heard about how the storm was calmed. He thinks, this is my one opportunity. This Jesus is somewhere here. He's walking past me. And he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, he says, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd are like, no, no, you're not, you're not, you're not what's going on here. We're heading to Jerusalem. We don't, shut up. And the Greek in this instant is actually quite strong. It's quite a strong rebuke, probably using words which you wouldn't use on a Sunday morning in church. Some of you may not even know those words. <laughs> and they're saying, Shh, be quiet, be quiet. So what does he do? He says, no, I'm going to shout louder. Jesus, 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 son of, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm over here. Have mercy on me. I can't see you. I don't know where you are, but I know you're in the crowd. Come and have mercy on me. And this is Jesus whose face is set for Jerusalem. And verse 49 says this. Jesus stopped. I nicked the title of this sermon from a guy called Ken Gott because it was just really impressive. The shout that stopped God. Here was God. He was heading for Jerusalem. But a little blind guy begging on the street stopped God. There's another incident. When the disciples were on a boat and they were rowing their way across and Jesus walks on the water. And it says Jesus was going to walk on by. But the disciples shouted Jesus. 
and he got in the boat. This time next year, I would like our prayer meetings to be at least twice the size. I would like us as a church congregation to be praying much more. I would like us to be gathering to seek God's face. But I don't want to guilt trip us into that. I don't want us to feel obligated to do it. I don't feel, want, want us to feel pressurized to come to prayer meetings. But I want us to catch the heart of what blind Bartimaeus did here. In, the, in this building at the moment, there's probably around about 140 with kids, people. That's less than 0.01% of the people that live around Kettering. Probably in all the churches in Kettering, there may be 1%, because that's a really nice round number, and it leaves 99% who know nothing of Jesus. Has a ring to it, doesn't it? 199. Do we want Jesus to stop here? Do we want Jesus to stop in Northamptonshire? Do we want him to stop in Kettering, the towns, the villages around us? Do we want to see something of that revival that Leah was thinking about praying? What is going to draw God to stop here, to reveal his glory here? See, I, I love Sunday mornings. Leslie doesn't shout, I don't dance, we worship nicely in the middle as a couple. <laughs> but if, if pushed, I will make some movement on my body. <coughs> in fact, I was watching a Rolling Stones concert the other night, and uh, there were the singers in the background, I thought, hey, I can move like that. <laughs> in fact, when I watched Mick Jagger, I thought I could move like that for about two minutes. <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> Wouldn't enjoy it, but I could do it. Blind Bartimaeus. He knew what he wanted. He wanted an encounter with Jesus. He wanted his sight back. And he wasn't going to let the shouting of the crowd um, shut him up. He wasn't going to let the cloak that was wrapped round him to keep him warm entangle his feet. He threw that off and he ran for Jesus. But he could only run for Jesus because Jesus had stopped. Jesus, who was about to go to the cross. Jesus, who was about to suffer humiliation and mocking. Jesus, who was going to take the eternal punishment of God on himself. He heard a voice calling for him. Son of David, have mercy on me and he stopped we as a church are phenomenally blessed in the presence of his spirit with us on a Sunday 
and the amount of human talent that we have in this building, in this very building and resource that we have, in the different towns and villages that God has placed us in, we are phenomenally blessed. And we could enjoy that blessing and have nice little times together. Or we can take that blessing to the world in which we live. A world which is hurting, a world which is unsure, a world which is fundamentally missing any godly moral parameters, boundaries, or guidance. We need Jesus to stop here. And we ain't going to do it by obligated prayer meetings, by guilt-driven prayer meetings. We're going to do it as we catch the heart and the spirit of blind Bartimaeus who cried out, God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on the area in which we're living. Because as we gather for those prayer meetings, as we hear the voice of God, we will know what it is to be filled with the Spirit and to be sent into the world in which we live. And we will know what it is when we're faced with complex issues to know the wisdom of God answering them. We'll know what it is that, that when we encounter sickness, we can bring comfort and we can bring healing. We'll know what it is when we are confronted with people who say, I don't believe there's a God. And we just say, well, that doesn't matter to God. God doesn't change when my, when my wife doesn't shout and when I don't dance. Just because you believe in him, it ain't going to change him. He is the eternal creator, father of creation, who has loved this world and demonstrated it through his son. And our response is to come to him and then be sent by him. <clears throat> and began by talking about being kind to one another, being kind to ourselves. This weekend... Um, <coughs> Leslie and I, Leslie's my wife, by the way, one in the yellow shirt, <laughs> for those who don't know. Um, and it, sort of unexpectedly, we had to go down Friday afternoon and pick up our grandchildren and look after them on Friday and Saturday. Um, won't go into it all, but it was a little bit unexpected. But we knew we were due back on Sunday. And uh, we had a conversation with our, our daughter-in-law, and she said, oh, You'll be all right for Sunday, won't you? Said, no, we thought we made it clear. Um, I'm preaching, and also we've got quite a full Sunday after that. We really need to be back on Saturday night. And she was like, oh, sorry, my dad can't do it. So Friday morning, because of the difficulty, it forced us to pray. <laughs> God, we really want to come back Friday night. Can you change circumstances for us to do that? A little bit later, we got a text message saying, actually, my dad can come about nine o'clock, which meant that we could leave about half nine, be home for sort of 11, half 11. I was like, you did it, God. You knew what we needed. 
You're busy ruling the world. But you listen to us. Think how much he's going to listen when we gather in increasing numbers, energy, and passion, crying out, God, have mercy on us. And may he stop here and his glory fall. Amen.